You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 40. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can find my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I update you on my writing endeavors and share my fresh new fiction with you. Before we get started, though, let me take a minute to update you all on my efforts to rejoin the workforce. Here's your job hunt update. Yeah, I did a job. I got nothing but trouble since I did it, not to mention more than a few unkind words as regard to my character, so let me make this abundantly clear. I do the job. And then I get paid. So this week, I spoke to my recruiter at the Contract Research Organization in Madison. She confirmed that things are looking good. The folks I interviewed with liked me and want to move forward with my application. After some discussion with their legal department, my recruiter had me obtain a release from the non-compete agreement that I had signed with my previous employer. That release came in late on Friday afternoon, so hopefully I'll get an offer of employment early this coming week. Mel and I have been looking into options for moving services, and we found an apartment that we like the look of that's close to the place I'll potentially be working. If all goes well, this will be a done deal in just a few days. New pledges are continuing to come in on the Patreon campaign. If you're a subscriber and you haven't checked out the feed recently, you should go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and take a look. I've dropped this month's bonus story, which is actually a collection of 14 flash fiction pieces called Drabbles of the Gods. These stories also appear in the second Metamore City story collection, Divine Intervention. And if you're a contributor at the $15 a month level or higher, the ebook of that collection is in your feed as well. If you haven't become a Patreon patron yet, it's a great way to support the show and help me and my partner Melanie pay for our upcoming moving expenses. For just $3 a month, you can get author commentaries, story previews, and bonus artwork, and for $15 a month, you get advanced copies of every ebook I release. You can adjust or cancel your pledge at any time, and there's no long-term obligation. Again, that's patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Today I'm bringing you the first half of Chapter 9 in my Metamore City novel, Things Unseen. This story began in Episode 24. So if you're new to the show, please go back and catch up before listening to this week's episode. The following recap will contain spoilers. Metamore City Magic Affairs detective Catherine Catane has found the woman she was searching for, the notorious socialite and house scion Mysteria Halloway. Unfortunately, the task of returning her to her father has been complicated by a magical accident in the Telvari Rift Zone. Misty and her friends were exposed to a surge of life-aspected mana, which mutated their bodies in a variety of ways, including turning Misty into a terrifying red-scaled demoness. Given her father's ultra-conservative social views, including his pride in the pure human lineage of his house, Misty fears that she will be disowned if she goes back to her father looking like a Daedra. She wants Kate to craft a set of illusion charms that she and her friends can use to disguise themselves as the people they used to be, so they can return to their lives without drawing too much attention to themselves. But there seems to be more going on than Misty has been willing to admit to. One of the people exposed to the mana surge, shuttle pilot Bernard Travers, 
has died within weeks after the exposure, his body burned from the inside out. Kate's landlady, the succubus, Ms. Fallon, examined the autopsy report at Kate's request. In her judgment, Travers's death looks like the work of some kind of magical parasite or symbiont, something that tried to bond with Travers at the rift, with disastrous results. The morning after her meeting with Misty, Kate returns to her apartment to find it has been broken into. Nothing appears to have been stolen, but all her belongings have been thoroughly searched, including the file on Misty Halloway that Kate was keeping in her laboratory. When she reaches her bedroom, Kate discovers another surprise. There is a young man lying on her bed. His body looks ragged and withered. His eyes are solid black, and his skin is an eerie powder blue. As Kate stands there, the man's body convulses, and the temperature of the room suddenly drops. Despite the changes, Kate recognizes him from a photograph. He is Hal Raines II, one of the five young people who were exposed to the magic of the rift. I had to warn you, Hal says. We're running out of time, detective. You have to stop them. Stop them before we're all dead. Things Unseen A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 9 Kate carefully eyed the young man on her bed, trying to judge his intentions. She was pretty good at reading people. It was a skill you had to learn as a police officer, since most of the people you met were going to be lying to you about something. But Hal's unusual eyes and skin hid a lot of the most common tells. The fact that his body seemed ready to fall apart wasn't helping either. Still, she judged that he wasn't going to attack her. In all honesty, he didn't look strong enough to hurt a fly at the moment. She tucked her gun into the side pocket, opposite the phone. Right, the phone! She pulled it out and spoke to the dispatch officer. Dispatch 942, code 2. Cancel backup, but send an ambulance. I've got a witness here who needs medical treatment. Copy 942, the officer said. We'll get someone there right away. Thank you. 942 out. She rang off and put the phone away. Hal was shaking his head weakly. No, he rasped. No hospital. Don't be an idiot, Kate said, without heat. She sat down on the edge of the bed. I need answers, and you're no good to me dead. Who do we need to stop? Hal closed his eyes. Kepler, he said. For starters, he's covering up what happened. He shook his head weakly trying to hold on to his monopoly, I guess. Kate thought about the morning news show she'd seen a few days ago, where Malcolm Ardvalos had argued forcefully for opening up development in the rift zone. He might be trying to protect you, too, she said. I think the syndicate is putting pressure on him right now. Hal snorted. He can't protect us. We need to go back, and we can't. He won't let us. Kate blinked. What, back to the rift? Gods, Hal, look what it did to you last time. Why in all the hells would you want to go back there? Another weak chuckle. Want to? Hell's want has nothing to do with it. I... 
He broke off suddenly, his mouth clamping shut with a clack of teeth. Pain etched itself on his face, and the air grew so cold that a rime of frost appeared on the bedroom window. Holy shit, Kate murmured. She hadn't felt any flow of magic when the drop in temperature happened. When is that, Hal? Is that cryokinesis? She'd heard about the psionic power of manipulating cold, drawing heat energy out of the environment, but she'd never seen it in action. Yeah, he gasped, opening his eyes again. The extra energy helps, a little. Not enough. Kate decided to put a few of her cards on the table. Something's feeding on you, isn't it? It got inside you at the rift, and now it's eating you from the inside out. The young man gaped at her, sudden panic on his face. How did you... His teeth snapped together again, the muscles in his jaw jumping as they held his mouth shut. His eyes narrowed in anger, his hands clenching into fists. Won't let me talk about it, he said, forcing the words through gritted teeth. Kate could see his pulse throbbing in his temples, and a vein bulged in his forehead. He looked like he was about to have a stroke. Gods, she said. Okay, okay, change of subject. For profit's sake, don't kill yourself. Um. She thought through the events of the last two days, looking for something useful that the thing inside Hal might let him talk about. Okay, okay. What's up with Misty Halloway? I talked to her last night and she seems fine. Well, changed, obviously, but not sick. Affected everyone differently. Hal said. I think it's got something to do with vitality. I've always gotten sick a lot. Childhood illness left me delicate. <laughs> he snorted again. Zeke used to say I was like a glass flower, pretty and fragile. I'm sorry, Kate said, and meant it. She took his hand and squeezed it. It was even colder than Morgan's skin when she'd gone a day or two without feeding. The pilot, Travers, Hal said. He was older. Something wrong with his heart. He died first. The others, they'll last longer, but not forever. We, we have to go back. Why? Kate asked. Why don't we figure out what these things are and just kill them? No, Hal hissed. He closed his eyes again and gripped the sheets of the bed. You can't, he whispered. Don't even say things like that. A tear slid out of the corner of his eye, then froze halfway down his cheek. You can't, he said again. Kate squeezed his hand again. Okay, okay, Hal, we'll find another way. I already promised Misty that I'd make disguise charms for all of you so you can stop hiding. Then we'll figure out how to get you back to the rift, if that's the best way to deal with this. He nodded once. Good. One more thing. Some guys were in here. Before me. I decided to come after I got your message. But then you weren't here. I waited for you to come home, and then I saw them through the window. They got through the wards on one of the back doors, so I... Followed them into the building, waited for them to leave, then broke in. Sorry. It's okay, Kate said, quietly. Did you get a good look at any of them? He shook his head. 
didn't get close. Didn't want them to hear me. They were pros. Maybe intel, maybe syndicate. Don't know. Kate sighed. Yeah, well, both of those are pretty likely. Wish I knew what they were looking for. Detective, Hal said. She looked up at him. The solid black eyes looked steady and serious. When he spoke, it was with a careful, measured precision. You must not let them find out what happened to us. We need to go back to the rift, soon and quietly. The the power of that place, it doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong to this city. He closed his eyes for a moment, then opened them again, a gesture too slow and deliberate to be called the blink. If Halloway learns what's inside us, or if the syndicate does, they'll try to use it, exploit it. You can't let that happen. I understand, Kate said seriously. I'll do everything I can to help, but I don't know how much I can do. Count Halloway is the only reason I have the authority I've got on this case. If I start booking flights to the Rift, he's going to hear about it. Find a way, Hal said, his voice and expression firm. I see your heart, detective. I believe in you. Find a way. Get us home. Please. Home? The Rift is home now? Who exactly am I talking to here? I'll try, she murmured. A knock sounded at the door to the apartment. Detective Katane? Paramedics? Hal gripped her wrist. They can't take me to the hospital, he hissed. Halloway's men will find me there. Please, detective. You're going to die if we don't do something, Kate hissed back. I... yeah, probably. He closed his eyes again. This is bigger than me. I'm going to try to get back to the old man. See if he can help slow it down. The old man? You mean Artax? Gods, of course. No wonder he wanted me off the case. The knocking came again. Detective Katane, are you in there? Just a sec, Kate shouted. Then to Hal. Artax is helping you? Yes, Hal said. Trust him, Detective. He understands what's at stake. Kate squeezed her eyes shut. Damn it. I hope you know what you're doing. Hal smiled weakly. First time for everything. Kate left him and went to the door of the apartment. Two paramedics were waiting in the hall with their supplies. Sorry, guys. The witness got spooked and rabbited when I went to the bathroom. Guess he wasn't as hurt as he let on. Sorry for the wasted trip. The head paramedic looked a little surprised, but he nodded acceptance. That's all right, Lieutenant. We were in the neighborhood, just stopped by on our way back from another call. Didn't take us more than two blocks out of our way. Glad to hear it, Kate said. I know it's tough when you're on the clock, but try to have a good weekend. He fingered the bill of his cap in a casual salute. You too, ma'am. Keep it on the bright side. Kate shut the door and returned to her bedroom. Hal was sitting up with his hands on his knees and seemed to be gathering up the will to stand. Gods, she muttered, you're not going to make it ten meters like that. An idea struck her, inspired by her conversation with Ms. Fallon a few minutes before. That energy-feeding thing, can you do it with stored mana? 
like take it from a wizard's reserves? Hal looked surprised by the question. I... I think so. I haven't tried. Try it, Kate said. She held up a hand, palm outward. I wasn't planning on doing any magic this morning anyway. I can recharge later. She closed her eyes and willed the mana to start flowing, out of her internal reserves and into her hand. The hairs on the back of her arm stood on end, and her fingertips prickled with the concentrated mana. Hal touched the fingers of one hand to Kate's palm, and abruptly the pressure eased as the mana found an outlet. Kate released all of the excess mana she'd had stored up for spellcasting, then cut off the flow before it started drawing on her own life force. She opened her eyes and looked at Hal. He still looked terrible, but not as haggard as he'd been before. She smiled at him, and he returned it. Better? she asked. A little. Thank you. Like I said, I hope you know what you're doing. She rose, then offered a hand and helped him to his feet. I'll get started right away on shopping for those disguise amulets. You get over to Artax and let him know that a mana supply will help keep you alive. I'll be in touch with him later, and this time he damn well better talk to me. I'll tell him. Goodbye, detective. Call me Kate, Kate said. The way this is going, I'll be lucky if anyone's still calling me detective when it's over. After Hal's departure, Kate went down to the payphone in the lobby and placed two calls. The first was to David, asking him to meet up with her for a shopping trip. She had to assume Halloway's men were continuing to watch her, so the only way she could fill in her partner was to meet in person. As usual, David was up early, even on the weekend, and he agreed to meet her at ten at a nearby coffee shop. The second call was a bit of a gamble. Ezekiel Kapler had proved to be frustratingly elusive so far, and she didn't want to let his father know what Hal had told her. At the same time, though, she had to get somebody to tell her what was going on, and Misty and Hal were both either unwilling or unable to do so. That left one likely option for Kate to try. Hi, you've reached the voicemail of Julia Mathias, a recorded message said. Please leave your name and number, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Julia, this is Detective Catherine Catane of the Metamore City Police Department, Kate said. I've just received a very interesting visit from your old friend, Harold Rains. I think you'll find it's in your best interests to meet with me as soon as possible. I'm willing to trade my assistance for some information, and to be honest, I don't think you've got a lot of time. She gave Julie her phone number. Text me when you get this and let's set up a meeting. The sooner you help me, the sooner I can help you. Katane out. There, she thought as she put the phone back on the hook. Let's see if that kicks over any anthills. The key to breaking up any conspiracy was exploiting the tensions that already existed between its members. With Julia and Hal at opposite ends of a love triangle, it was likely that dropping Hal's name would bring Julia out of the woodwork, if only to make sure that Hal wasn't trying to sell her out. Love and revenge were the two most powerful motivators in the human psyche. A woman in Julia's position was likely to be feeling a little paranoid about her lover's ex-partner, particularly since Zeke had brought Hal into this adventure years after their breakup. And why did Hal go along with it anyway? It was one of many questions that she wished she could have asked him, if time had only permitted it. 
With him at death's door, she needed to get him to Artax as quickly as possible. She made a mental note to follow up with him once she got to spells for you. If he followed her instructions, he'd get there several hours ahead of her, and the old man would have him stowed away somewhere relatively safe by the time she arrived. She met up with David at their appointed time. After Kate renewed her caffeine supply, they went for a walk in a nearby garden park. David muttered something to the trees and bushes, and they subtly shifted their leaves and branches, until the sounds of the city faded away to something distant and muffled. Nice trick, Kate said. Her voice seemed to be swallowed up by the foliage as soon as it left her mouth. There was no way anyone would be able to eavesdrop on their conversation. What's happened? David asked. His violet eyes looked alert and worried. Kate filled him in on what had happened since she'd left the station on Friday night. The news did nothing to improve his mood. Magical symbionts, he said, his expression grim. And from what Artax told us, it sounds like they're carrying a lot of power. But with a heavy price tag, Kate said. Travers died because his ate him from the inside out, and Hal's going to be close behind, unless he can get a steady mana supply to keep it happy. What about Lady Halloway? David asked. She seems to be doing all right, Kate said. Maybe because she's staying at the Hedonist Temple. There's a lot of life-aspected mana getting produced at those orgies, so the symbiont probably feels right at home. But Hal didn't think they'd be able to survive for long unless they could get back to the rift. David nodded once. So we finish the disguise amulets, then have Mysteria reunite with her father. Isn't it likely that he'll forbid her from going back to the temple? Kate winced. Shit, I hadn't thought of that. We're going to have to work fast, then. How do you plan on getting them back to the rift without Count Halloway hearing about it? I haven't actually decided if that's what we should be doing, Kate said. These things killed one man already, and Hal's put a gag on him to keep him from telling me what happened. I think we need to know what these things are, and what their intentions are, before we decide what to do. Maybe what these people really need is a good exorcist. David's eyes went distant. Perhaps. Kate crossed her arms. Okay, partner. Spill it. He looked back at her. What? You've got that look on your face that says I'm about to screw up. Don't be stingy with the elven wisdom now. David smirked. I can't claim to know any more about the situation than you do, Catherine. Uh-huh. But? The elf closed his eyes and sighed. Imagine that you've suddenly become trapped somewhere thousands of miles from home. You're confused, disoriented, frightened. You're surrounded by alien life forms whose ways are foreign to you, and you don't know whom you can trust. And to make matters worse, you're gradually starving to death, and you have no idea how to get home. Kate crossed her arms. Okay, yeah, I can see where that would be scary, but that doesn't change the fact that they killed a man. All I'm saying is that we shouldn't assume these creatures are malicious. Everything that's happened can be explained as a series of mistakes and tragic accidents. He looked at her again, his eyes alight with emotion. All life is sacred, Catherine. We should deal with these creatures in good faith, until they give us reason to doubt them. The intensity of David's words left Kate momentarily speechless. The elf was normally quiet, readily deferring to her on how to conduct their investigations. Every once in a while, though, 
they ran into a situation where his beliefs gave him absolute conviction on the right way to proceed. Such was clearly the case now. All right, David, she said at last. We'll play nice with them for now, but they're going to have to actually come forward and talk to us before we can do anything useful. Do you think you can convince them to open up? I mean, you're the one with the mystical connection to all living things. She paused, then added, Sorry, that came out sounding more sarcastic than I meant it. No offense taken, David said, smiling faintly. It certainly doesn't hurt to try. We'll see if Hal's rider is willing to talk to me when we join them this evening. Good enough, Kate said. Now let's get to the shopping. I've got to buy enough gents to make five disguise amulets, and I need your skimmer to carry everything. And that's where we'll stop for this week, folks. What is the creature that's possessing Hal Raines? Are his other friends being affected in the same way? And how will Julia react now that Kate has baited her into revealing herself? The mystery continues next week. Ernest Hemingway said, A writer can be compared to a well. The important thing is to have good water in the well and it is better to take a regular amount out than to pump the well dry and wait for it to refill. So, let's head down to the pump and see what we've got in my bucket. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 3,885 words this week, over the course of 5.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 706 words per hour. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this script, I have gone 24 days without breaking my chain. My progress on The Lost and the Least was a lot slower this week, partly because I was working on the bonus episode for my Patreon patrons. I'm still in the middle of chapter 19, and the draft is just over 66,000 words. I'm going to try to get more writing time in next week, but I'm also trying to record ahead, so I have plenty of audio ready for the move so we'll see how well that turns out. Wish me luck. And now, the feedback. After listening to episode 38, Nobilis Reed posted this on the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. Listen to the most recent episode. Immediately thought about writing an alternate future Metamore, where various factions, size, hedonists, vampires have established extraterrestrial colonies in order to be able to set up social systems to their liking. Hey, Chris Lester, we've already established that interplanetary space has no mana, but where does mana actually come from? Unquote. Great question, Nobilis. In the world of Metamore City, mana is one of the three forms of physical substance, along with matter and energy. In our world, Einstein's law of special relativity showed that matter and energy were different forms of the same thing, and that one could be converted into the other. In Metamore's world, the first law of manodynamics showed that there was a similar equation that allowed mana to be equated with matter or energy. Mana doesn't persist in the physical world forever. It spends most of its time in a layer of reality called the ether, which you can think of as a three-dimensional pseudo-space that overlaps with real space. 
Mana can flow into and out of the ether because of a variety of different processes. Large amounts of mana rise up into physical space at places called mana springs. There is one of these under Kaya's citadel, and another in the Telvari Rift. The mana that rises up from these springs flows out in currents called ley lines, which can run above, along, or underneath the Earth's surface. When two ley lines cross, the mana concentrates there, forming a mana node. Eventually, all ley lines converge on features called mana wells, where the mana drains back out of the world and into the ether. A mana spring or a mana well can also be called a mana nexus, and every nexus is both dangerous to get close to and a source of potential power, because they have a large number of ley lines around them that a mage can draw on as a source of power. Wizards and sorcerers can grab some of that mana, store it inside themselves, and then set it back into motion in a pattern called a magical field. And that, essentially, is what magic is. There's a lot more to this conversation, so if you're interested in hearing more about Nobilis's ideas for a futuristic Metamore spin-off, go to the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group and check it out. Carl Earl writes, Hey Chris, first of all, love the fact that you are back. I've been enjoying the world and stories of Metamore City almost since the beginning. I'm listening to Things Unseen as it comes out, and also re-listening to the older stuff at the same time. I'm currently on Chapter 17 of Making the Cut. By the way, mixed in with all of the other meanings of that title, was it also supposed to refer to transgender surgery? For some reason, that only occurred to me yesterday. Unquote. Hi, Carl. I have to admit, that particular double entendre for Making the Cut did not occur to me while I was writing it. Daniel's transformation into Danny was always going to be in the book, but in the original story treatment that I wrote, the adventures of Brian and the Summer's Cell were at the forefront of my mind, and I thought they would be the largest part of the story. It was later in the outlining process that I realized Daniel and Danny were the emotional heart of the novel. For me, making the cut was always a story about the things people did in order to make a place for themselves in their society— and I used the idea of a sports draft as a metaphor for that. I made this a little more explicit in the new print edition of Making the Cut, where the three stages of the novel are titled Bust, Free Agents, and Comeback. Someone did point out the allusion to sexual reassignment surgery a few years ago, though, and I have to admit, it sort of fits. Thanks for writing in. Sarah Testarossa commented on chapters 7 and 8 in the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. She writes, Is it weird slash bad that I don't consider Misty's new body hideous and think it probably looks badass? I'd love to actually see it drawn, because I'm not one of those people who can visualize from prose easily. This is a hypothetical. I'm not asking for anyone to produce art, because I know better than to ask for free art. Though, depending on what all ends up happening in the book, maybe a scene from Things Unseen with Misty in this form might be one of Randall Fulton's illustrations. Who knows? Unquote. Hi, Sarah. I definitely didn't intend for Misty's new demonic form to be hideous. She still has her womanly curves, and the narrator says that her form reminds Kate in equal measures of a cat, a dragon, and a bighorn sheep, none of which are ugly creatures. I did, however, say that her new body was terrifying, and for good reason. She's big, powerful, muscular, and has teeth and claws that could tear you to bits, as well as those imposing horns. 
she's not a creature you'd want to see coming towards you down a dark alley. And if you're like Count Halloway, and you consider the Daedra an existential threat to the souls and virtue of humankind, then Misty's new body will be frightening no matter where you encounter it. Of course, as Nobilis said in the Facebook thread, if we didn't find monstrous things hot, we probably wouldn't be fans of Metamore City. Well said, my friend. Lastly, Nobilis Reed posted an announcement on the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. For the last several years, Nobilis has been crafting vodka infusions inspired by different podcasts and bringing these infusions to Balticon. This year, for Balticon's 50th anniversary, Nobilis is going to be bringing infusions inspired by Metamore City. Nobilis says, Infusions went well. They have been mixed and are set aside to mellow. I doubt anyone will have experienced anything like this before. Unquote. That sounds like the perfect tribute to the world of Metamore. Balticon 50 is happening this Memorial Day weekend, May 27th through 30th, at the Renaissance Baltimore Harbor Place Hotel in downtown Baltimore. Come join us! If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, and on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To converse with your fellow fans, join the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. That's all for this week. Tune in next time for more fiction fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 and 2016 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.